Uh, welcome everybody to the next episode of Mostly AV. We with myself, Jerry G, and our beautiful hostess, Michelle Lorette. And today's guest, we have Chris Gillespie. Hello. Uh, giving us a different aspect into our industry of commercial AV and other stuff. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, Jerry, I prefer stewardess, actually. Stewardess? But, okay. Uh, it's just me kicking it old school. No, I'm too <laughs> <laughs> well, I did stop myself from saying a bunch of remarks, but but that's it. That's just between you and me. So we're a, we're a family show. We're a family right. show, folks. So yeah. So Chris is working uh, right now. Chris is working um, a potential forever home that is trying to determine <laughs> if they are going to create an opportunity for him. So uh, he is currently available and on the market, and he is very talented. I know. I got to meet Chris when he was my Atlona RSM. Uh, he had worked with several other manufacturers like Prism and Extron. He had also worked at Verisign. We got to work together when he was at Intuit. He is in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Did I say that correctly, Chris? Yes, you did. Uh, and uh, Chris is good because he understands the manufacturing side. Uh, like yourself, Jerry, he understands the needs of an end user. Um, but it's nice to have somebody with some recent experience in that realm uh, as things have evolved over, over uh, time and to, uh, you know, Get to know Chris and see what he has to offer. So, Chris, if there was one thing, uh, what's an interesting thing about you that um, people might not know? Because you uh, know a lot of people, but but for those that know you, what might not they know about you? Because you have an interesting background. Uh, let's see. Well, when I was in the Army many, many years ago, I spent a little bit of time living in a tent at about minus 100 Fahrenheit up above the high Arctic Circle at one point. So, Oh, I was, was that for the... For the U.S. Army? No, the Canadian Army. I'm Canadian. Oh, the Canadian Army. Okay, that's an important detail. That's a huge <laughs> distinction, <laughs> I might add. Yes, Canada does have a military, believe it or not. They do, and they've got some spiffy uh, uniforms as well. We love that. No, that's the RCMP you're thinking of. They're the police. Oh. Oh, <laughs> so y'all don't have horses and stuff too. Not everybody has a horse, just like us people down in Texas. Not everybody has a horse and a ranch. <laughs> yes, we do, Jerry. Stop trying to dispel that truism. Come on, man, you're killing me. <laughs> uh. So yeah, Chris. So uh, so you you uh, if you have a choice, uh, where do you think is the sweet spot uh, in terms of job aspiration? Um, well, you know, I, I really don't know. It really depends on the organization because you know. Everything in life is all about culture, finding the right cultural fit where you just feel that you can do your best work and you enjoy the people you work with. And, you know, I won't go so as far as to say you love coming to work, but, you know, you <laughs> enjoy what you're doing. You enjoy the people you work with. Yeah. You know, oddly for me, like when I, as I look back through my career and the various phases, because I've taken a very circuitous, circuitous route through all this. I started off in the rental and staging world after I got out of the army. I thought I was applying to stereo shop. And, oh, I didn't and know that. And, and stumbled across AV back when we were doing multi-image slideshows and all sorts of fun stuff like that, which right. oddly the uh, being able to do multi-image slideshows way back in the past uh, prepped me pretty well for doing prism walls because it was that inane level of detail that you had to put into things to make sure it's, you know, level 16 ways to Christmas and all sorts of things like that. But, you know, when I think back to my days in rental and staging, working at uh, Adcom Presentation Group in Toronto and the guys that I worked with who have all spread out throughout the industry and are in a lot of senior positions in different places. We just had so much fun. We all enjoyed working together, you know, even when things went wrong, you know, we, we got along, we knew each other really well. We, could, we had each other's backs. That was, that's really what it comes down to at the end. You know, when, 
long, long time ago, back, let's see, when did I join the Army? I joined the Army in 86. And I remember in basic training, the commanding officer of the base came and he gave some speech. I just remember one thing he said. He said, as soon as it stops being fun, move on. And that's, I think, important. You've got to enjoy what you're doing and who you're doing it with. Do you think there's more camaraderie in rental and staging than in pro-AV because the situation is so mission critical in a way? I mean, I know that the C-level suite in the enterprise world feels that their you know, video conference is mission critical, but I don't know. You're putting on a big show. Maybe well, I, I think with rental and staging, what you run into is that you know, while there's good camaraderie you know, when you're you know, doing installs and stuff and you're working it overnight or in you know, horrendous detail and things like that. The thing about rental and staging is it's generally a larger group that's working together consistently and you're constantly, you know, like when you do an installation, the guys who are mounting stuff on the wall are not necessarily bumping into the guys who are doing all the programming of the DSP or the control system, whatever. Whereas in an AV rental and staging thing, you know, the audio guys rolling stuff in the same time the stage guys are moving in and the lighting guys and the video guys, you're all having to work in conjunction because it's got to be done. And that's the other thing too, is that in an installation, now we don't generally talk about this, but you know, dates slip, time slips mm-hmm. sometimes. And you know, we got a project and it's done, but it's not quite done. Rental yeah. aging. Yeah, no, sorry, the show just started. <laughs> There's no, no, the punch list has to be accomplished, right? Or it like just is not gonna be accomplished. Yeah. No, exactly. So so to that extent, you know, and then there is also a very finite ending, and once it's over Boom, three hours later, the room is empty. The trucks have rolled. So that old uh, song by um, Loadout by Jackson Brown, like when you've worked in the ra- rental and staging world, you listen to that song, you're like, he knows, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, having have, have a similar background myself, um, I can totally agree to that, um, knowing that, um, you know, one of the biggest things uh, that, actually helped me out in my professional commercial AV that comes from the production world is that no matter what happens, no matter who cries, who doesn't, what broke, what didn't, the doors are at seven and the band goes on at eight, mm-hmm. yep. which is something that does not happen in the commercial world because, you know, you can go, yeah, we're supposed to, you know, commission it today, but the electrician didn't finish, so we'll commission tomorrow. Right. And even beyond that, like that option in the production world. And even beyond that, you know, you you Mm -hmm. finish the job, but then you've got your punch list to come back because oh the colors weren't quite right in the projector, so you gotta fix it. You gotta tweak the DSP again and again and again. We won't get down that road. Um but like, you know, a friend of mine, Joel Rollins, who does uh, a lot of podcasts and stuff, Joel used to always say, you're never quite finished adjusting the projector. The show just happens to start. Yeah. And, you know, and then this was back in the CRT days, too. So, like, when you mm-hmm. need a dark time, you need a dark time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's, it's – and but it, but it was a good setup. And a lot of guys who came from that world, they, they approach the way that they do things in the, the, the Pro-AV install world a little bit differently. There's just a different viewpoint as, as to how you look at things. Well, that's an interesting segue. So you brought up approach. So I'm curious. So you're you're an integrator. Um, how how does an integrator? What advice would you give an integrator on how to approach an enterprise customer? What what gets your attention? You know, I let me let me answer that by backing up. Okay, okay. I'm with uh, you. So years ago, I was working at uh, Extron and got this opportunity to work at a startup up in the Bay Area. Ooh, it's exciting. And I came up and worked for the company uh, for a little over a year. And then, like, out of the blue, got fired 
and I had uh, three-month-old twins at home. Oh, no. And, and living in the Bay Area, so not the cheapest place. In the oh, my God. And stuff like that. You know, so a- as I was, you know, I was doing various work here and there, and I got this job at this company called Verisign to go in and do AV. And one part of my brain went, oh, this is going to be so easy, man. I know AV. I know all this stuff. I am one of the guys who, who wrote the CTS program. Come on. Yeah. You know, and that's the way I went into it. Within a very short period of time, I, I found myself going, oh, my God, we suck. Oh, yeah. Industry. We just, we're horrible. We are terrible people. And that horrible, terrible people stuff. Quote, unquote. <laughs> comes mostly from disconnects. Okay. You know, yeah. it comes from we speak the same words, but they mean different things. Okay. Integrators come in and they, they start doing something because the customer said something and they're doing what they interpreted the customer's meaning to be. Um, Mark Cox did a good post, a little video a little bit ago on LinkedIn that I saw where he said that a lot of times when we do the walkthrough, we do the wrong walkthrough. We okay. walk through the new space when what we really need to be doing is walking through the old experience. And we need to understand in yes. detail what it is they're talking about. You know, uh-huh. what do you like about these rooms? What do you not like about these rooms? If you had the opportunity to improve them, what would you do? And and on down that list. So you know, and I can I can, you know draw a couple of really good examples. Like one of the best examples was we had we were a video conferencing user. We weren't a great video conferencing user. My time at the company, I was able to say that like, oh, I improved the usage by like 600%, which just means I went from horrific to kind of crappy. Okay. Um, what platform were you ledger- uh, leveraging at the time? So this was in the world of hardware-based codecs, if you don't mind my yes, asking. Yeah, this was a, po- they were a polycom shop. It was, okay. Uh, view stations and VSXs. All right. Stuff, and then a p- couple of polycom MGC50s. Uh, was there any standardization in, within the organization? Okay. All right. So um, that was a yeah, foreign but, concept. Yeah, but we, we had these things, but what they'd been sold as was basically the old cart with a CRT TV on it, mm-hmm. roll into the mm-hmm. room, plug it into the network, put the, uh, you know, just the wireless remote control, put the microphone on the table. We're done. We're good. Yeah. But I'd actually had experience in that stuff from the early nineties because the, the uh, Adcom, the company I worked for in Canada, well, we were Southern prior, but we were bought by this company. And at the time, they were the world's largest picture tell dealer. So oh, back in yeah. the 90s, we were doing picture tell, you know, uh, video conferencing in, uh, in staging environments, which if that doesn't show your insanity, nothing will. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'd had experience with the stuff. And so we, we rolled it in. And, and one of the things that I first found out was that they had this really weird habit. And one of the big things in any environment is you go in, and this is what I'm going through right now at uh, Intuitive Surgical, where I'm working now. And no, I'm not open for the things, Michelle. This is my job. This is where I'm working. Oh, okay. Um, what, what I'm doing is, is basically taking a look around and trying to understand what we have. More importantly, why we have it. Because yeah. if you don't understand why something is the way it is, you're never going to affect change. And the really weird habit that they had at this particular play at Verisite at the time, they don't anymore, excuse me, was the people would only place a call via scheduling it through the global service desk mm-hmm. and the global service desk would um, schedule it via polycom web commander. And then you'd walk into the room and you're, it would be lit up. You'd have a continuous presence, Brady bunch look on screen, a okay. couple of dark rooms because nobody was actually in that room. But then they would go into the room and they would make sure that the video conferencing system was muted. And then they would dial into a phone bridge. Oh, okay. And I'm like, what, what, why are you doing that? Right, like, right, right. 
oh, well, because we need other people to dial in. And I'm like, well, we've got a couple of BRIs hooked up to the bridge. You can dial in there as well. There's no passcode on anything. I'm like, really? So I went looking in the settings of the MGC-50. And again, we had relied on an integrator who shall remain nameless. And they're still uh-huh. nameless, who sold us like 30 or 40 endpoints and two of these bridges, which, you know, that was a considerable expense back then. A couple of those oh, bridges. Oh, yeah, drastic, yeah. Still is. They'd never enabled the IVR services on the bridge. Interactive mm-hmm. voice response for anyone who doesn't know what IVR is. They never enabled the IVR services, so there was no password. For me to fix that root problem was one checkbox. That was really? it. And then all of a sudden, then I had to try and untrain the entire organization on the workflow and, and, and how you actually dialed into a call. And uh, everyone it, it made me look like a rock star out of the gate. But um, it was just one of those things like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So, and, and that was just, and that was the integrator had done that. And then, you know, the next sort of room that I ran into was I went into our uh, EBC. We put a lot of money into the EBC and you look at the racks at the back and, you know, and it was, I don't know. It was like a wire monster threw up in the back of there. So, yeah. the, so for those that don't know, uh, that's the executive briefing center and he's res- referring to a spaghetti warehouse when he talks about. The okay. Spaghetti warehouse. <laughs> I just came up with, with wiring monster threw up. So, <laughs> okay. um, but, but the point was when we, you know, it's like you could, there's no way you could troubleshoot anything because nothing was labeled. Yeah. Nothing was dressed. So it was like, you know, you just had to trace wires. There was nothing on anything. The integrator, when I talked to them about it, blamed us because we insisted that they used an IT rack and not okay. Middle Atlantic that they wanted to bring. And then we shortened the time frame for the installation, which I know that never happens in the AV world. Yeah. It always, uh, well, we it always get pushed by the other never, they never came back to dress it, clean it. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, there's not even a label on anything. You, you right. wouldn't be able to dress it because you don't know what anything is. Yeah. Then I went and visited our East Coast operations, which is where our global network operations center was, our GDOC. Mm-hmm. And VeriSign, for those who don't know, is the company that, for lack of a better term, runs the internet. Uh, we held the dot-com registry as well as about uh, wow. 20 other top-level domains. So when you typed in CNN.com, the DNS lookup, domain name, uh, domain naming system, lookup that would then give you the IP address to go to on your computer was us. And we were doing, when I left the company in 2010, I think we were doing something like 40 billion transactions a day. That's what it'd be. Uh, wow. that, that was the size of our databases for doing that stuff. So our global network operations center was pretty serious. I seem to recall that if .com ever went down, sorry, fly in front of me. Um, if .com ever went down, our penalties were in the neighborhood of a million dollars a minute. Wow. Oh, wow, a minute? I, I <laughs> yeah, could be wrong on hurts. those numbers, but it was right, but still, some drastic. Like that, yeah. Because if yeah. we went down, the internet went down. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. global yeah, commerce. Absolutely, yeah. So when I went into the back, like I could go over the amount of things that were wrong with the system, but I'm just going to describe one problem with the description. For anyone that's ever put a rack door on before, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that it uses a very complex system called gravity. There's just two pins you drop it onto and it sits there. Well, they were complaining that there was something wrong with the rack that they bought because the doors would never attach. Will Seifert, who was working for a local company at the time, mm-hmm. came in and he did the diagnosis because I was still on the West Coast. I hadn't gone out yet. And he goes, they installed the rack upside down. <laughs> 
And I love that story. I love that story. It just got worse from there. When I went to our, our disaster recovery failover knock in one of our outsides, right. uh, and I looked in the back of the rack, I just, I couldn't stop cursing, which is pretty normal for me anyways. But um, I asked one of the facilities people who was showing me where everything was, I go, take a look back here. She goes, oh, I don't know anything about AV or electronics. Or anything. You don't have to. And she looked at it and went, holy shit. Um, and, <laughs> I was, and, and the thing is, Going back, because every integrator who's going to be listening to goes, oh, that's those guys. We, we don't do that. We don't do sure. that. And there are a lot of great integrators out there. Don't get me wrong. There's a yeah. lot of fantastic work. But or great individuals go, within an integrator, right? You, you can be great, but if you're on a beat. Well, the, the argument I would make against that, Michelle, is that an integrator who is great has great process. Okay. And if you don't have great process, it doesn't matter how good the people are. You've got no way of, of engaging checks and balances. Yes. And true. so. Very true. The problem was, and, and it still exists, because over the last six months, I've spent a lot of time talking to other enterprise customers and, and you know, chatting to people, mild consulting here and there, and I've just seen it over and over again. Most of the stuff sucks. Yeah. It's horrible designs. It's stuff that you walk in the room going, what the hell? And I, I realize that sometimes the customer gave them guidance that's confusing and, and leads to weird outcomes, but it's everywhere. It's systems that are over-designed, over-engineered, over-complicated, and the customers can't use them. It's things like one, one of the reasons why internally here, we've got some training rooms that I went and visited that are divisible rooms. I was like, where's the airwall sensor? Oh, we don't use those. Why not? Because beep, integrator, when they previously did some stuff, they could never make it work, so we stopped trying. Oh. When I worked wow. it into it, um, and we were talking about divisible rooms, you know, yeah. two by one, two by one divisible, which isn't a difficult concept within the industry. And they had been through a lot of integrators in trying to do stuff. The people within my organization, actually, Cindy Coons, who you've met, uh, Michelle, yeah. she was like, well, divisible rooms don't work. That was their understanding. That was their experience because yeah. through many integrators, they'd never managed to get this stuff to work. So I have a quick question. Sure. So explain for the audience that doesn't know, because a lot of end users have abandoned the concept of asking for it because it was never made to work. What does an air wall sensor do? How does that work for those that don't know? Well, it's just a sensor. You know, okay. a, a sensor gives data back to a system, uh -huh. and the system can take an action based on the state of that sensor. And so, in a divisible room, what's right, the application? Much like, much like in a thermostat, if it gets too high, we turn yeah. on the air conditioning. In a divisible room, it means you can automatically configure the room, so you don't have to manually go over and hit, you know, combined, separate, combined, separate, mm, right. and, and possibly hit it the wrong way, or, right. you know, you're exactly. starting a meeting, yeah. and people are going, there's no audio on this side of the room. It's actually a pretty simple concept as well, because if you think about it, uh, and a, a division sensor is either optical, magnetic, some form to let the control system know that the air wall, the separating, yeah, is there, or it's been engaged. So it's it's very much like everybody that has an automatic garage door opener. Okay. They got the little sensor at the bottom that if you trip it, it opens the garage. It's something very similar to that, that yep. that's usually installed up in the ceiling to let the room know that the wall is down between the two rooms, which is a, it all it does provide a very simple single closure to the control system. Letting you know, zero okay, or one. If you see, yeah, one or zero, and the control so, system behaves accordingly. So your customers have air wall sensors for those yeah. that have, yeah, yeah. I mean, like all of them. Yeah, well, if you have a divisible room, you 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 utilize a, a sensor. Um, I've I've seen it 
not work because people didn't quite understand how to program with okay. it. So there was a failure on the programming okay. side. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what that's what people, you know, keep running into and like, oh, we can't make it work. And it's, you know, like one of those things I've I've told people many times over the years. Whenever you hear anyone say, um, we can't do that. Yeah. What that really means is I don't know how to do that. Right. Exactly. Yes. You know, or we haven't been able to do that in the past. And that could be caused by a million things. So. Right, exactly. So so in those situations, you end up with because and I, there was an article I, I wrote recently put up um was talking about experience Designing where did you put it up on uh, rave okay rave so, pub so look on their site, yeah. yep. um it was basically talking about how a lot of times we design around the gear the technology stack this that the other thing customers couldn't give a crap about the whiz bang technical wizardry we're throwing in the room the customers yeah. want to walk into the room and have an experience they want to start their meeting quickly easily connect easily plug in their laptop, easily connect with their laptop using something wireless. Maybe there's chargers already, so their phone, they can just put it down, start charging since it's probably low if it's in the afternoon. Absolutely. We we need to design around experience and not the tech stack and figure out what tech we need to make to work around that stuff. And, And we see examples all over the place of just, you know, you can tell that people were really impressed by their own cleverness. Um, and, and what they've done is created something that's, horribly complex that yeah start having to worry about whatever technology has been rolled in and and one of the things that everybody's noticed over the last decade or more is that more and more enterprises are bringing more and more av expertise in house yeah have to are you noticing that jerry absolutely absolutely yeah Uh, you're saying it but most enterprise customers that i deal with now have a and it, it, it's in a weird morphing situation right now where they're, they have an AV expert. Okay. And we've known the type. Yeah, uh, like a you or a Chris. Got it. Right. Somebody, somebody that works for the end user that works along with their IT department. This is where it kind of gets kind of weird because some people are assuming the IT people know this stuff because, oh, it's wires and stuff. So you must be an expert at it. Very false. Mm-hmm. Very different world. That's kind of like. Mm-hmm. you know, the guy knows how to wire up a pool just because he's an electrician. Knows how, and it's like, no, no, very different things. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, these big organizations are realizing the benefit of having somebody who can act on their behalf and guide them at least, you know, keep them out of trouble for the most part. Be the advocate. Be the advocate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and it's um, drive the standardization. It's exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's huge. I, I'm with you, and I'm now pointing at my camera so the voice can see my finger. And <laughs> no, it, because, you know, when you look at things within different, you know, because we need to have the same experience across, you know, right. we, we've got stuff all over the world. We need to have the same experience so that our people can just walk into a room. They go to Seoul, they're visiting the office there. Yes. They know to walk into a conference room and it works the same. Even though it was built by a company in Seoul who speaks no English or, right. or anything else. So A, it's partly those standardization things, but largely it's because they've been burned so badly by so many integrators in the past. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's a failure of the design process. And, you know, Trunk Slammer AV gets the job and sure. does a crappy job because we didn't know what to ask for. Right. You know, one of the things too, and it's like, you know, I, this has bugged me for a really long time. Now I, I've been involved. get it out of your system. Come on, let's uh, let's let's go there. I've been now. involved with our parent association for many years. When okay. I first moved to California, working for Extron in '97, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I got sent right out there to start teaching for this new thing that was being worked through called install school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was, you know, working, spending a lot of time with John Campanella and, uh, and Steve Thorburn uh, doing the design school. And we were working on all these different things. And, and I had high hopes at the time of the industry focusing a lot of energy on the end users, you know, mm-hmm. advertising information week, which is like CIO magazine, mm-hmm. you know, go to the computer shows, go to those places and impress upon those people the value that our industry can bring to them, but they've never done that. So we've got an industry where we're all very proud of ourselves and we change our names to unintelligible words that make no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But over on this side of the fence, nobody still knows who the hell anyone is. Mm. Right. They're totally making a crapshoot. And that's, you know, you know, I've said it many times, you know, like I hate the industry. I love the people and I love the work that gets done, but we're not doing enough. So there's just so many customers are ending up feeling like our entire industry sucks because they've gotten bad experience after bad experience. There was a company here, and I'll leave names out again, that I talked to months ago and uh they're they're a startup uh i don't think they've gone public quite yet they're they're growing like mad they got lots of money to spend and they're building out all this stuff and they built out a space and it was uh one of the largest end user or an integrator okay end user director of it okay uh, that i was talking to and you know they they just spent a whole ton of money on this brand new amazing room that they what's a ton of money how much give us a number come on a million and a half all right wow okay that's some money yeah, I think I think it was somewhere around there, but but the point was to them it was a lot of money. It was a big experience. It's it's their big event space that they right bought. right. And the integrator that did it is one of the largest in the world, and they can't use it. Well, but, I would say they needed to spend at least two million, right? I mean, okay, you well, get what you pay for. <laughs> if you only do one dot five, I mean, come on, kids. When, when, well, even, when in reality, they could have got a completely usable and satisfactory room for eight hundred. Even, even <laughs> right, I know, right? And intuitive. There was a big room that they did on the East Coast not too long ago, five way divisible, and it was about three million for that whole thing. What? And they had to go back, and they had to keep redoing, redoing, redoing. Really? End up having a gut all the streaming stuff because nobody could get the SVSI stuff to work. And, and then they ended up putting in a DM matrix and just, but that's the experience that they see. So They're like, question, we don't know who's good. Yeah. Was it a SVSI problem? I, I, I have no idea. I just, all I know is that what they told me since I've been here. So I don't yeah. know whether it was SVSI, whether right. it was networking, whether I just, it was creator. there's a lot of, but that, that's exactly the point though, Michelle. There's right. so many touch points. I know. We, it's it's it, 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 it's imperative that we do a better job at delivering these things because that's what the customer was left with that streaming over the internet over the network doesn't work. Well, and it maybe it doesn't because maybe it doesn't need to be on your like no, no, this was a network. This was a dedicated it network. Was. So it was a dedicated AV network. Everything it should right. be. Yeah, all the Actually, flags. Well, I just wonder if you go from, to Ripple from from, from personal experience, it does right. work. It all depends right. on managing yeah. expectations and setting up the network. Front. Well, okay, so yes. you just said yes. the key word. Years ago when I took the SanadCon training with uh, Pat Brown. You know, ah, God, I was just talking about SanadCon training. That's interesting. The, the key term is it depends. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's depends, the answer yeah. to virtually any question. And, yeah, there are a lot of variables in there. And as our industry has gotten more and more complex, and this was not a small integrator that did it. Let me just no, right, no, right. no. I get it. Um, I get it. I we probably can all fail. I'm pretty sure I have. So. <laughs> but, but you get where I'm coming from. Is it, so mm-hmm. the end user is left with these 
it doesn't work. I can't trust it. Right. We can't get this stuff to happen. And and that's the problem. And sure, there, there's great consultants out there who drive things really well, but you know, they're not and, installing it. And no, no, they're, they're not. But yeah. you know, and, and there are so many points. Like you know, when we talk about just you know cookie cutter conference room, obviously, you know, that's a place where you know there's a challenge because the integrators keep trying to add too much stuff. I had a funny experience when I was at Intuit is I was explaining to an integrator how we wanted the room set up at some stuff in the, in our Plano office. And and I was explaining that, you know, yeah, I know you're using whatever the model was, a Crestron DM extender. Leave the scaler off. We don't want yeah. the scaler because of how we're using our system. And, and they're like, but to, how are you going to scale? <laughs> well, you know, that and he goes, no, 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 let me explain to you what a scaler is. And I'm like, um, so whoever taught you how to use a scaler and what it does, I taught them when I was at Extron and we were writing all the courses on what scalers are and how they work and what they do. And Hi, why. I'm Paul Paul Gillespie. Let so, me introduce myself. Yeah, it's like but, but, father time. <laughs> you know, and again, you, you end up with rooms that don't work. You, I, 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 the list of stuff is just, it, it, it's mind-boggling. The, the, so the point is, is that, you know, you know, wherever we started here, there's... There's a, a real disservice that's being done. There are some companies that are definitely better than others. There's some that seem to get it, that go, okay, on your cookie cutter conference rooms, I'm going to make up in volume and I'm going to do everything I can to make it simpler, simpler, simpler. Because mm -hmm. what I need for regular conference rooms is I need someone who can come in and do it, be in, be out, or be in, tested, complete, out within a day. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean, right. because we don't have enough conference rooms. And if we want to start taking them offline, well, I can do it for a day. Yeah. You want to a conference room for two days? Are you kidding me? You know, we don't have enough. Nobody has enough conference rooms. What's What's the pressure at the end user level when conference rooms are offline? If you can, you articulate that, uh, like pain, uh, suffering, screaming, yelling, hellfire, yeah. damnation. Uh, yeah, expletives uh, at the hoo-ha. Inconvenience the business. Right, right, right. Stop business from happening. Yeah. You know, so like when we have to go in and we, like there was one place where we were doing uh, we had a big room that we were redoing in Mountain View, uh, which is one of the smaller cities here in the Bay Area, right next door to Google. Okay. Um, and we were doing this room and we ha and this was a large divisible space, which we definitely do not have enough of. Yeah. And uh, Cindy Coons had taken it offline um, for like three days because the integrator was going to come in and do retuning the DSP or whatever mm -hmm. the heck it was. Integrator didn't even show up and didn't even tell us. Wow. That's oh yeah, crazy. we couldn't we couldn't get somebody, so we're we're gonna have to come in the next day. You know, and then so the the people who had been inconvenienced and been kicked out of the room, yeah, then walk by the room and see that there's nobody in there. And they got vocal. Oh, they get very vocal and they, they get, get vocal. Escalated? It yeah. Always so how, what, what, what's the food chain when an end user sees a situation like that, that they've been inconvenienced, now they've got the red ass. They go to who their goes, director who goes to their uh -huh. who goes to their EVP, who goes to the CIO, and then it rains down from there. Oh. So where, where do you find the fault in that? Is that a project manager issue or the project manager just didn't manage his project, didn't manage his well, stuff? in that particular case, it was the, the logistics people didn't notify or, or something like that. I, you know, I, I can't right. remember the exact detail. Yeah. But but the only point is it's like it's you know it's not valuing our time it's not valuing their time and again right. it, it seems it disrespectful burn. right 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 yeah so then now you're alienated well look I've seen I mean I've seen it a dozen times um, because oftentimes and I know I don't know if this is the case uh, current or previous employers but 
you know, uh, here in, in Houston, because I can speak to my backyard and Jerry knows a lot of the same clients. Oftentimes, if it's a large enterprise client, they will have multiple integrators on the hook. And sometimes they divide it out intellectually. Sometimes they just divvy it out based on what work is going out, depending upon how their purchasing power is going. So you might have one campus that's a remote campus and XYZ always does that. And you might have a main campus and that's divided between ABC and CDFD well, or whatever. You know? Yeah, what, what you run into uh, from time to time is, you know, integrators will... It, it's rare the integrator that'll say, you know, we'd love to do that job, but we're strapped and, and we're not able to do that one. Would you right. appreciate that if they did? If they would. said that, yeah. would you? They would, they would guarantee yeah. that they'll be yeah. neck on the next job because yeah. you're being honest with me. Sure. You know, right. we, had, we had something going on where they, you know, an integrator um, was telling us they could do something for us in our Dallas office. Mm-hmm. Um, but this particular integrator was doing a really, really large job in Plano mm-hmm. at a really large car plant at the time. Um, and they did not have resources. And so we're like sort of on the hook waiting to find out what the heck's going on. And by the time they said, no, we can't do it. Like we kind of saw that coming, but it's just like, why didn't you just tell me weeks ago? Because Mm -hmm. I was just frustrated. So, so, you know, but, but, but here, here's the takeaway here, here would be the, uh, the, the keynote point to take away for, yeah, yeah. we don't have enough conference rooms. And the larger the conference room is, we have even less of them. Mm -hmm. And the need for them is 120%. So you don't don't think that big conference rooms... Okay, good. No, I'm saying that we don't have enough. No matter what the the, the makeup we have, we don't have enough rooms. So if we have to take something offline... That's a really big deal. Okay. So if you're going to come in and do a renovation for a project, you say, we need you to take it offline for six weeks. I'm sorry, but that's just not going to happen. Really? You need to figure out so, how to yeah. do it in multiple phases or whatever. Just understand that, that these rooms are massively valuable resources. You go to places like Google or Facebook where they do the hot desking and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. The conference rooms are the resource. You know oh, I, mean? right, right. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's people who reserve conference rooms just so they can sell the reservations to other people. You know, black market conference room reservations. That'd be smart. So um, Actually, the- that makes sense. And it's, I think that's a cultural divide that happens between, that's a kind of regional thing. Yeah, because out, out on the West Coast, when you got more progressive companies that have different business models than we do, like we deal a lot, pretty much strictly on the energy, oil and gas, oil and yeah. gas, and energy. they have a, they they have adopted the open office kind of environment that they love hot gas did thirty years ago. <laughs> Was it thirty? Come on, we're not that at least far. at least. Oh, well, stop! Yeah. Pervasively a decade. Come on, man, we're not that. Times We're not three. Bread. I know. I know it makes you feel old, but okay. <laughs> Anyways, point being is that they have the these oil and gas people are kind of behind the times. Do so we ask that they're kind of like musical Central America? What's a hit today in America? It's going to be a hit there five years from now, or whatever. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. I'm using an arbitrary number. Same thing that happens here with the business environment. Um, you know, because they're. You know they're they're in cubicle land. They love it. Ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work for certain industries. It works for certain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the big conference room. It is, and and but we see it that they're doing like a half effort to utilize these meeting spaces. They'll commit to okay, we're gonna have you know five comp five sixteen seater 
conference rooms in, on this floor, uh, eight huddle rooms and two, you know, midsize. Not realizing that, and they're they're actually attempting to do analytics. It's like, how much usage do these rooms get? Well, a lot of it's going to be depend on how how well they are equipped. Yep. If if they need to do a complete all out video conference, but there's only four people, it's a waste to book the fourteen seater. Yeah. Well, but, four but people and whatnot. By and large, what's happening now, and and. You know, this has been driven a lot by the reduction in cost, you know, mm-hmm. kits, you know, uh, Polycom's Group 500, Group 310, you know, they're yeah. really expensive systems. And, of course, Zoom and, and Blue Jeans and, you know, and all the other oh, yeah. that. What we're seeing is that every room gets video conferencing. Boom. You know, because it's so cheap to add it to those. I'm rooms. not seeing that, actually, on this end, uh, this end of things. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, it is. I, know, I know it's coming. I, I'm pushing for it because now... You can do a you can do a bring your own device room huddle, you know, for four or five grand. Yeah, turnkey. Whereas that wouldn't even get you halfway through the codec of the bigger room. Right, oh yeah, right. no, I, I saw a guy story. when I was driving down the street today. He was selling uh, sound bars with integrated video cameras out of the back of his truck. It's really <laughs> everybody has one now. It's I, I laugh. Right, exactly. I might see another one introduced. You know, exactly. Um, it's comfortable yeah, like, now. Take one of those and put a full audio and video SIP stack in it. Then you'll have my attention. Um, it's so, so, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the takeaway is that anytime you need to get into our conference rooms to do stuff, that's great. But you better figure out how to do it as fast as humanly possible. If it's a longer time frame, figure out how to break it into a couple phases because, you know, there's always events coming in. There's always these high-profile things. I'm in a building right now here, which is actually going to be torn down within the next six months. And mm-hmm. so it's mostly empty, and they had to do an internal event, so they used this building. You know, that's because it was the only place they could get a big right. enough space to have the big plenary session and then, you know, a little mini trade. How many, how many people were they trying to accommodate? Uh, 400. Was okay. Season. All right. Okay. Good uh, size. Yeah, but, but you don't, you generally, beyond ignoring for a second though, the makeup of stuff. The point for the integrator though, is that, you know, you've got to understand that you, you can't have as much time as you want to do these rooms. Mm-hmm. So you've got to figure out a quicker way to do things. That involves coming in at six o'clock in the morning, take care of all the, and then the guy's wired through the day. And then the QA guy comes in at seven o'clock at night to get that finished. Then great. That's what you've got to figure out how to do. You know, if you're telling me like, Oh yeah. And we did that proposal based on all nine to five, you know, it's like, right. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know. You do have to accommodate. I mean, I work, I work in as a design engineer for an integrator and we do got to take that into account. A lot of our, clients are like okay you, there is absolutely no hammer drilling between eight, eight, eight and five eight and six in the morning none oh you know, really or that's your only time that's oh, your yeah, only yeah. time six you know any time besides that because they have people that show up to work at five six right. you know, they, and no hammer drilling so if you're working on a big restack or whatever on a big building it's like you're limited okay so at that point you got to take into consideration it's like well the guys you're going to send out there now they're making time and a half because they're either a on overtime or you paying them for shit hours. And, and so you got to take that into account and what it's going to cost you to provide that service. Um, so you got to, you, you have the dynamic scheduling, you know, where it's like, okay, well now for me to run wires down the, the core of this table down to the floor below and then come up on, you know, up the wall for, Floor 15, that means I have to intrude into floor 14. All right. Well, two things. So mm-hmm. 
Um, if you have to go to a floor below, I hope the client owns that floor. Otherwise, you'll never get access. Not always. Yeah. So do we need to do a better job of discovery? And is that whose responsibility is that? Is that the salesperson's responsibility? Is that the engineer's responsibility? Both. both. It, it, it's a combination. It's a team effort. It's a team effort on the front end uh, between the account manager and the sales engineer. And right. that's how the, but, the company is structured. Yes, they're all structured differently. I because they are structured a little bit different. So at the front end, you do have to allocate for that. But once discovery it gets beyond, still has to be done. Once, once it get, gets beyond, you got to take that into account as you're selling the project. Once you sell the project, then it becomes the project manager's duty. Okay. Right. But, but like, and, and where I was trying, you know, coming at this from is like, when I get the proposal as the end user and I go, okay, great, this is good. And then we start having the discussion about the fact, you know, all the things, mm-hmm. you know, the time frame and everything else. I was like, whoa, okay, well, that's going to change all our prices. And it's like, you need to walk into the whole thing mm-hmm. going, okay, I'm going to assume that 50% of my labor is overtime and I'm going to price it as such. Yes. So that if you have to make some changes, they're going to be fairly minor changes on that. But if you take your average project and, and bid it with 50% of the labor, and I'm being totally ballpark here, at, at time and a half, you're going to be a lot closer to not having to change order me to death. So, but that's not on a greenfield opportunity. A new construction, I would presume, because it's... Well, not, not new construction. Could, I mean, there's a lot of time, especially here in well, Houston, where, you know, you got company A, they're taking over floors three, four, and five. Okay. Uh, it's a too. brand new building. Like, I've got one of my buildings here. Right, yeah. It's being built, and it's we built it from scratch. So, in that one, that's great. And if you know that in advance, but if you know that it's an already existing space, that, that's you, what I'm those getting. Those contingencies need yeah. to be almost Don't assume that these rooms are just like, oh, how long do you need them for? Sure, I'll just block them all out for you. Because if it's an existing room, yeah, and you go look at the Outlook calendar, there are reservations from here till... Eternity. You know, Exactly. And so, we've got to clear all those out. The fewer we have to clear out, the better. And if, if a client, if they double check with you, Chris, if they go to you and they go, hey, you know, if they verify these assumptions, do you think less of them or do you think more of them? Do you think, oh, somebody's doing their due diligence? If they're like, hey, what, you know, if they ask for your guidance, are you willing I, to I assume it? they know what they're talking about. It's if they have to keep coming back to me with change order, change order, and all of these things are surprises. No, but on the front end, on the front end, on if the, they ask the these front questions. End, I would assume that they would ask all of these things. I'm not going to necessarily remember all the things. To that volunteer it. Like, you know, because I've had integrators come to me and then I've had to tell them all of the things that they missed. I've actually found... I had one project, it was like 1.3 million with somebody, and there was about a $140,000 error on the quote in my favor. Mm. And they were going through a whole process with our procurement department and everything else where they wouldn't have been allowed to recover from that without a lot of kowtowing. You know, I'm the one that found it because I was the one breaking it down because, well, that's a whole different topic of the difficulty in interpreting your bloody proposals. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, well, let's talk about that real quick. Let's sidebar. Okay. Shall we? Because <laughs> we can do that on our show. So um, you get you, you have an RFP. Who puts that out? Do you put it out? Does an architect? Generally, we're it putting it out. Sometimes, depending on the scale of the project, there might be a consultant involved or something. Okay. So uh, when that gets put out, do you have requirements for how it's returned? You know, I, I ranted about this on LinkedIn about a year and a half ago or so, and it, it went so it re-rant for the of, well, it went, it went viral-ish. Oh, because what I was basically bringing how up. How many views point, did you get? Do you get? It was about fifteen thousand or so. Oh, um, nice. nice. 
the and, and what I was talking about was how what the industry desperately needs, back to my frustrations with what the industry focuses on and, and what we need is we almost need a common bid format so that integrators can put things down yes. and so that I can easily level the bids because I would spend more time doing the bid leveling in some cases than I did actually doing the RFP. Um, because some guys include sales tax, some people yeah. don't. Some people have shipping as a separate line item. Some people combine it with miscellaneous cables. Absolutely. One company combines all the labor as one ball and all of the gear as different things. And then even beyond that, the, the, the difficulty, because they have NEC, they have LG, and then they do Samsung. somebody else, you know, but what I don't realize, like, I'm just looking at the prices. Wow, they're right. super expensive, so I'm going to knock them out. Then I find out afterwards that, oh, you would bid commercial-grade monitors. You're bidding consumer-grade monitors. And, and the third is bidding prosumer, right? Something so they're on. like, yeah. yeah. And so trying to level it out and trying to make sure that I give it to the right – because, you know, not giving it to the wrong person because somebody else had artificially – suggested to me that they were completely out of the ballpark. Now, there are things that will knock you out of the bidding, like the guy who started telling me all these things that Biamp couldn't do, and I'm like, wow, you're full of crap, and then confirmed it with uh, one of the guys at Biamp. Because you already knew better. You were educated. Well, it wasn't that I knew better. It was just that it was nonsense what he was talking about. He really wanted me to use QSIS. Yes, Corey. Um, and Which, we love QSIS. We love Biam. Oh, no, we're, we're pretty much standardized. We're and and we're open to sponsors. Yeah, no, but I my, just my want only... to let Biamp and QSIS know that <laughs> their right. sponsors are still should. available. <laughs> um, but so, so, so the, the problem, though, is that when you get these bids back, and somebody's like, oh, we're not bidding pencils here. And I'm like, I'm not talking about bidding pencils. I'm talking about yeah. when we do drawings we have master format that we follow along which tells us what the naming conventions of what's on what page and everything else we need a similar thing for bids because otherwise the customer now that's somewhere where you know folks like joey d'angelo or scott walker or other consulting firms they do that bid leveling because they say that's great here's a spreadsheet to fill out right actually, yes. what i'm really interested in is you heard of x10 av no, I haven't. Tell us about so it. They're a new company that they showed up at Infocom. Um, I've, I haven't seen their stuff yet. I've heard some people say some cool stuff about it. How uh, do you spell it? X. Is it T-E-N or the number yeah. 10? I'm just asking. X-T-E-N. I know. it's okay. and, and what it is, is they're basically building a whole, or they built a whole bidding and proposal. And Oh, what, yeah, yeah. They just started following me on Twitter. AI and stuff uh, yeah, like that. I haven't yeah. heard of them. Okay. And yeah, what I'm interested in it from is a being able to approach it from the from the end user side where we could create a set of rules yeah. around these are what's approved products, these are what's approved this, that, and the other things, and then let the integrators bid it, but then we get everything in of the same exact format. Yeah. Bid level it. Right. See, that, that's one of the problems that I see, and, and I, I, I agree with you entirely. Yes. The problem right. is, is that as an end user, and I haven't been one in the past, depending on your project, there's also there, there may be a GC between you and the integrators. Well, and sometimes and the GC and, has a different requirement. They're going to want you to go to their portal and utilize their forms and their spreadsheets to provide your pricing in. Well, There's and a I, lot I, of things we can run into in the middle. But my point is, is that right now everything is completely different. You look at a is, bid from Diversified, no, yeah, from Whitlock from AVI SPL, from AVI systems, there is nothing the same between them. Right. And nope. that's, that does a disservice to everyone because 
you, you can't sort out which one's which. No, well, I agree. And, and you know what? And I honestly think that none of those none of those entities that you that you mentioned or any other integrator has any interest in conforming to something that their competitors conforming to. Uh, and, and yeah. I get that. It's some of them, which is, which is right, which is it, it's more of a mentality kind of thing. It's like I want to be different than the next guy. I don't yeah. want to be another me too. Well, yeah, and like you know, yeah, you got your thirty pages of fluff, and you know, and all the things telling us how yeah. awesome you are, and inclusion. What year you were born? Else. Yeah, but it, well, when you get down to that pricing, it's like it was, it, it still is right. brutal trying to sort it out, because again, I've given the wrong integrator the project because of the way things were bid across, and I couldn't tell that there were those differences. Right. Well, because yeah, you might have been overlooking something that one integrator well, y'all, y'all paid have all seen to it. And, and took account. Uh, well, and I think none of us have been in the um, government space, right? You know, where you're like forced to kind of go with low bid, right? In the <laughs> enterprise space, at least we have a luxury. Yeah. We don't have to go with low bid. We can go with whatever bid we want. I rarely you know? do. I rarely go. And we have we don't have to give bid results either. We can be just like f off. But in the public space, they do go with low bid. And I think that's even more frustrating well, for but, but, the integration but, channel because oftentimes stuff is just like people are like a big boy, right? The maximum purchasing power is like, how could they bid it at that? Well, the cost keep of mind, my gear. Keep okay. in mind though, you know, because you're making, you're still making another case for this because yes, they have to go with low bid. But at the same time, if there is a low bidder, but he has violated the terms of the RFP because he chose a different piece of gear or did something differently that doesn't show up yeah. in the pricing, then he can be automatically excluded because he's not conforming to the bid. Right. And everybody putting out proposals in totally different fashions. The See, part, part, part of that also comes into the responsibility of the person putting out that RFP. Because yeah. their specs on an RFP is so vague that can be they can be interpreted Oh yeah, a different way. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, no, no. Oh, we, yeah. I just, I just ran into that literally today, where ah. I'm calling the consultant, going, "It's like, hey, you're giving me this room that you you've given me title blocks of what this equipment is. You know, you got like video matrix one, you know, HDMI extender one, HDMI receiver one. You're not telling me anything about it. Is you know, is that? Do you want me to use uh, an HD based T, a proprietary, a video over IP? You obviously have something in mind, but you're not giving me the information to be able to be fair. Uh, Basically, tell them it's the equivalent, you know, going back to the the apples and oranges. Yeah. Like you're basically going to, coming to me saying, hey, I need a fruit that tastes good. And you're not giving me enough parameters. To know what type of fruit you know what, like. To what recommend and be competitive. Yeah. And that happens a whole lot more than often than not, especially when there's a consultant that's going through specs for a client that's getting put out by uh, five different GCs who are hoping to bid on the opportunity. And I think that's where that disconnect comes from. And you're right. If we can standardize, okay, well, everybody's going to use this. If you standardize how you present the numbers, and and it doesn't even have to be exactly the same form. We all agree that taxes will be or won't be included. We all agree labor will be broken out per room. Right. We agree that we will say what grade of monitor it is or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. cause right. like I can't tell from a monitor. Now if you, if you bid a BenQ projector, I don't even know if they're still around. They are. 
Christie, you know, I know that one of those is very different than the other. Yeah. But, but there needs to be something to make sure that the end, the end user, when they get those bids back, and, and I know that like if, you know, any of the consultants out there listen going, well, it's easy to just use a consultant, you know, and again, there are times when it makes sense to use a consultant and believe it or not, there's times when it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's, that's what you start running into because it shouldn't be this. Right. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, from the integrator's point of view on my end, it's like, well, I can only work with what you give me. Yeah. I can only work with whatever, you know, they, I'm provided with as far as specs. If your specs are vague enough, well, I can, I can give you a 50, you know, $500, 65-inch whatever, or I can give you what you really need, which is an $1,800 Samsung commercial 500-net display. But Joe Blow down the street might bid that five hundred dollar, you know, three hundred net, no RS two thirty two include some Atlona extenders as opposed to an Extron or a Crestron, and there's a lot of. But the thing hey, is, hey, hey, Atlona has come a long way. You just need to dial back that. All right, you haven't sorry, worked not there. Atlona, but uh, Panduit X Y Z. I just say X Y Z. But 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 again, it's you know it's. It's, I'm not as concerned about the individual line items there, Jerry. Right. That's not as much the problem. It's just how the overall thing is formatted. Right. They're mm-hmm. apples to apples. Because when I would get all these bids, I would then tear through them all, and I would room by room, what's the equipment cost? What's the labor cost? What's the this cost? What's the that cost? Why didn't you and come up I, with a format? Because that's not like you not to be like, I just need to come up with a format. And I, was doing, do no, I was doing that internally. Oh, okay. Um, because I was going to say, that's like you to be like, this is going to trigger me to find a solution. I mean, that's right. But the thing is, it's, just, it's, not, it's not a coordinated effort because I know right. you, you created a format internally with your organization. But is it given? It's like I have, an, I have with mine. You know, my, my organization, we're using JetBill, every AV room. You got, you know, you got project, you got rooms within that project. Every room has a display system, an audio system, a control system, a video distribution system, a rack and hardware system, and a services tab. Yeah. So I can break it down to, you know, all the individual pieces. No, and if they're and broken if out like process. that and everyone's using a similar format, then I can say, okay, for some reason, yeah. Five conference rooms. These guys are thirty percent more expensive on hardware, and I can drill into that hardware, and I can I can see where the differences is, and then I can start figuring right. that out. But it's trying to get to that point. Right. Spending two or three days. That that's yeah. the route. It's not about trying to make everybody exactly the same. It's just about presenting the costs in a similar fashion mm-hmm. so that I can start getting into it. And if your labor is 40% more expensive than the other guy, then maybe you saw things that I didn't see. You know, I, yeah. I, can see now, I, know, I know one of the things is having, you know, part of my past, I worked for ABS Bill, I worked for Whitline um, and others, and everybody has different behind the, behind the curtains oh, yeah. pricing that they so think. Is it our nature to obfuscate? Let's just, I'm just throwing that out. Yeah. Right. You yes. know, it's the dark arts. They've we've loved the proprietary nature of our business, mm-hmm. and I have to be honest. When I was just doing that soft codec for the uh, voice over IP company out of Michigan, like prior to my pro AV, you know, going to work for an actual integrator, um, like I saw other quotes they had gotten for a training room, and I was like, wow, they had quotes for fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. These were twenty twenty. 2010 quotes, okay, that included video conferencing, hardware-based codecs, um, rooms that accommodated approximately 30 to 50 people, singular room, um, 
But even that, because I was not an experienced AV buyer, mm-hmm. I was I was a typical AV buyer. I was like, why is that so expensive? <laughs> like, you know, I, I was like, wow, that's ridiculous. Like, what, makes that more, what, what makes yeah. that $20,000 more than that guy? Yeah. Yeah, and and they showed me all these quotes from all these integrators. And I was just like, wow, wow, wow. Because I came from structure cabling. So I was like, wow, these people are, they're boss. Structure cabling, you yeah. just drops. <laughs> I know, exactly. I'm like $150 a drop. Okay. Oh, wow. What are y'all charging for? You know, I it, it almost made it interesting to me, alluring in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I didn't get it. But yeah, like it is a little bit of the, we like to be able to hide what we can hide where we can hide it. But if we all come up to the same standards, that means we're all accountable. And that means we're also easily measurable. And so here's the thing. How do you, how do you, how do we sell that to the channel that that's in their best interest? I'm just playing devil's advocate. Right. But that format is generally not dictated by the end user or the customer It's dictated by the company owner and the bean counters at that company. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, Michelle froze. Well, I, I would say actually it's not even dictated by them. It's simply what they've ended up right. with. Right. Yeah. They they started with something twenty years ago or something. Right, exactly. And they've they've kind of evolved it because the amount of times when people go stop, reset is few and far between. It yeah. is. It is, you absolutely. Know? And you know, and I remember, you know, at the time there was one of the one of my uh one of my dealers, you know, talking to her and you know, and like hearing her complain about the the back end system that was used and how they had to put proposals together and the fifteen layers of, you know, um of, of, of approvals and everything else that went through it. But you know, what was simple rooms? And the irony was at the time that we had um one of the corporate goals, one of the, the mission statement objectives, whatever you want to call it, um, core values at uh, into it was speed is a habit which was a really good way of looking at things. I it love that, by the way. And, and speed is a habit was about like looking for ways to do things more effectively quickly. I it love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I kept joking about with the integrator, you know, was like not slow as a habit, speed is a habit. Um, <laughs> because there were things like, really? It's, it's been like five days <laughs> and you still don't have a proposal into me. Whereas other integrators, you know, t- typically smaller more nimble regional players yes. would have a proposal for me in 48 hours. Cause you're you know, now, now there, there's another side of that coin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go to that. So and I have to go there. Stuff, okay. Because, go there. You know, haven't, haven't played both sides of the counter, so to say, I get that. Yeah. Some, some people come at you at 48 hours, whatever, as to the sheer volume, that's assuming that you're the only, you're the only customer on the menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the times, I can't even attack a you know in my current situation, I can't attack a certain project till a week from now. I mean, that means I have no time because of previous oh, yeah. projects that I'm working on. I can't yeah. even open the folder to assess how much it's going to take, how you know the time that I need to allocate to that particular project, and and but I can't even open that folder without getting distracted till next week. Well, and and I get that, but like you know the way I approached it with them, as I said, okay. We're about to do a walkthrough. Mm-hmm. When will you be able to give me a proposal? You've got a yes. rough idea. You know, when did you expect it real quick? What was your, cause you've been in the industry, you know, it deeply. So let's, no, no, but, but that's one of those places where, you know, Jerry points out 
very good things. I don't know what you've got going on in the background. Right. So I would never say I need it within this time unless Okay, you were reasonable the, enough just to ask them. Yeah, and there was so there was a, there was emergencies where I was like, okay, there's a thing and I'm going to need a proposal within 72 hours. Would you, you let you them that? know that before they came out to your side? If it was an emergency, I yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. would okay. I would convey that. Okay. But what we would run into as a situation is like, when will you have a proposal? I will have a proposal for you by close of business Friday. Great. The following Wednesday, guys, you're really starting to piss me off right now because uh, you, I asked you, I gave yes. you a time. Right. My whole life exists around two statements, set expectations, maintain uh-huh. expectations. Yes. I, That's I, it. Totally. If okay. you call me on Thursday afternoon and say, Hey, we've had a problem. We had a system. One of the integrators, large integrator we dealt with, who uh, was headquartered in Tampa, had an issue one day. They had a freaking hurricane hit. And they told me that they were going to be a week later with things. And I was like, okay, that's cool. That's but he told yeah. me before it was due nice. right, that it was right, going right. to be Not late. after the fact, yeah. Right, exactly. Right. So, so set expectations. This is the second takeaway rule. The first takeaway right. rule was my conference spaces are immensely valuable. Figure out how to get in, get out, get paid fast. Yeah. And if you got to break it up, figure out how to break it up. Rule number two, set expectations, maintain expectations. Yes, agreed. And what's 100%. our third rule? We have to have at least, I mean, we're closing out on the hour. We have to have at least three takeaways. Oh, we're, we're, not, even, we're not even getting into uh, user interfaces and how well, horrible control systems oh, are. Oh, yeah. well, let's talk about user interface, and then that will lead to our third takeaway, and that's how we'll close That'll it lead out. To our third takeaway. So let's talk about user interfaces. So, so fr- from my years back at Extron, I knew one thing and one thing solidly. We suck at designing user interfaces. Some and do. No, we all do. Um, Primarily for one, (laughs) primarily because your programmers in general Uh used to be a project manager who used to be an installer, Uh who used to be a high school graduate. Okay. And that's how they got into all that stuff. Yeehaw. Nowhere in there do you see the words industrial design, human computer interface, or anything along those lines. Right. And so what happens is you end up with People design around what they know. So AV people know gear. So when you look at the majority of touch panels, and I've had ones designed by consultants, ones designed by integrators, and they're always, it's like there was four different touch panels. Oh, it's in blue. Yay. Um, And the reality was, is that it's gear centric. It's designed around the equipment. We had one designed by a consultant. the functionality of the equipment, right? The functionality of the equipment. There's the AV matrix page. Literally, it was called AV matrix. My customer, my end users Makes don't sense. know what an AV is. <laughs> but it made total sense to everybody else. Yeah, there's an audio page, there's this and that. I went through an experiment when I worked for VeriSign where I was going to redo the CEO's boardroom. I got some money, we were going to redo oh. it. It was horrible and everything else. Glory and project. So all I knew about user interface design, user experience was that we suck. And they all suck. And that one was particularly bad in that room. It was also a really old, I think it was an AMX panel that barely worked. You could barely read it and stuff. So I did something novel. I had already done some work with our usability lab internally. And these are these are the guys who were doing usability for our websites, for our products. Okay. Um, master's degrees in human computer interface design. Um, master's degrees in industrial design and all these sorts of things. They were, did you they, totally geek out with them? You had they had the monitor. Oh, have you ever yeah. seen the eye tracker monitors? No, no. So the eye tracker monitors at the time it cost like two thousand dollars. And the monitor was like a 20-inch monitor, something like that. And it had a ring of what looked like an LED thing uh-huh. around the outside of it. There was all these LEDs. And basically, 
it could track where you looked and how long you look. So really? for example, one of the things that they do in usability testing is they'll say, okay, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to turn on the screen in a second. And what I want you to do is go to the user account settings. And so when you do that, the, the person looking on the console, they see where you're looking. They see what route you followed, uh -huh. how long you stuck in different places. Uh, and they would go like, so for example, if user account, everybody always looks to the upper right, but it was in the left. They're going to feed that information back uh, to the miners and go move it to the upper right. Because that's what people that. are looking I love they, that. We, did, we had a, a technical symposium internally. We had our own trade show that we go to every year. I remember we had this one down in Miami and they brought that monitor and they would, would demonstrate how it works. And they'd say, we're going to put a picture up here and, and I want you to not look at the obvious. And somebody's like, okay, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden the picture pops up of a smoking hot chick in a bikini. And it's just like, <laughs> like totally where you would expect a man to look. And, so and they're trying not to, but they can't not because every start your eyes are her hair. Yeah. It's just the, the hot spots are just glowing. And, you know, so... So I took what I figured was a baseline for a interface design, designed it in PowerPoint, things would link to each other and whatnot, uh -huh. took it into the lab, they wrecked it. Um, I went through about 10 iterations in the usability lab before I came up with something that they were okay with and uh -huh. I was okay with. Because I couldn't I... make it as perfect as they'd want, just because yeah. there's a variety of reasons of there's stuff we got to do. And I used that to be the basis for my interface design, which meant I now had to fight with the integrator to tell him that he was wrong and I was right. And oh, I've got yeah. all these people over here who are telling me right. This led to a lot of conversations with people at AMX, at Crestron, at Extron. And the best response was from somebody at Extron when I was explaining this. He goes, yeah, that would be a great idea. And I go, why don't you guys do something like that? And he looked me straight in the face and he goes, because that would interfere with things that we know are true. Oh. And he was being sarcastic. He was being very, very sarcastic. But, but that's the truth. You want yeah. a place where Crestron and AMX and others can provide tremendous value? Open a usability lab. Start doing white papers on actual human interface design. Yeah. You know, let that's dealers science. send them a panel and they'll run it through a usability test. Yeah. But I actually, went through all the iterations. What's that? that? That's actually one place where Cisco is winning. Oh, yeah? Tell us. Yeah, Gary. absolutely. And you've heard me rant and rave about their touch tan panel. Chris has not, but. That's where it's they're It's better winning. than the real presence. I'll give you that. Yeah. yeah. Better than the but, but the thing is, they're not only are they great at being able to sell it, but the proof's in the pudding. People love that because once you get past, once you get beyond the sales pitch of the integrator and its capabilities and whatnot, at the end of the day, the minimum amount of button pushes that, that are required to achieve anything wins period yeah, yeah. no matter, no matter we, how we had we, we were in the process when i was at intuit of changing mm -hmm. over from cisco to polycom or poly and yeah. um one of the things that we were dealing with was real pain with the polycom panels with some things that just don't make sense oh yeah and trying to like Cisco panels always have a persistent volume control. Uh -huh. So at a glance, you can see if your volume's all the way down. On yeah. a Polycom, it's buried menus down. Oh. So your panel yeah. could be the volume all the way down, and you won't know it. So we would get called for problems like that. You know, and the irony is that Polycom's is it's, it's just an Android tablet, you know, but right. they won't allow customization. Um, so so getting back to the user interface design, that that was so I went through all of that and and again had to fight the integrator on a variety of levels. I don't yeah. do all the minutiae. But when I finally got it done, the person who was my CIO at the time, uh, Jerry Martin Flickinger, she's now the CTO for um, for Starbucks. 
And she came into a meeting the Friday morning after the whole thing was done and called me and she said, I'm mad at you. And I go, why? What's wrong? And she goes, well, the system in here is so bad that I always show up like 45 minutes before my meetings to make sure I've got everything working in here. I came in this morning and I got everything working in 90 seconds. I'm like, nice. oh, 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 yes. She's I'm bad. terribly she sorry about that, yeah. She um, wasted over 40 minutes of exactly. time. Exactly. She got to work early. Like... <laughs> but, but that understanding of interface design, you know, there's so much work needed there because our, our users don't understand what the hell you're talking about well, in this channel. Look, and, and I will I will say, look, user interface, because I know, I mean, with Utelogy, I worked with amazing programmers. They're not necessarily UI people, right? Right. UI people are a special breed. Let us not discount the greatness of a UI person because um, a coder likes to have information and it doesn't really need to be pretty or fancy or whatever. In AV, we like pretty. Pretty sells. It needs to be pretty. It needs to speak to us. It needs to be pretty and simple, hopefully intuitive. Um, but you having a, a, a UI capability. Now, obviously, if you have a tool like that display. Well, it, it's the line the between tracks, UI and UX. Right, right, right. It, 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 there, is, there is a line there, right? And it is a a knowledge, a skill set, a tool set. Uh, there's a lot of different things, I think, that complicate that. Um, well, but, but it doesn't have to because the reality is, is that the programmer is not the guy who should be designing the interface because right. he's thinking exactly. about the gear. We, yeah. we went from a panel that went was very much like, there's the matrix, there's the DSP, there's the this, to a panel that said, I want to have a video conference, right. have a teleconference, watch yeah. TV. Right. And you click on that, and then it gives you the next logical thing. Yes, yes, When yes. you're in a video conference, there's never a privacy button because there, your phone doesn't have a privacy button. Right. Your phone has a mute button and a volume control. Your mute button shuts off the microphone. Your volume adjusts the speakers. But when you're in TV mode, mute button mutes the speakers yeah. because that's the expected behavior. The point is, is that the touch panel doesn't make sense to the receptionist, the, the driver who right. you just hired, exactly, yeah. um, wife, grandma, mom, dad, whomever. Preach it. Preach it. Then it doesn't make sense. And people have to accept that they don't know what the heck they're doing when it comes to user interface, user experience design. And that is a giant weakness because you get back to our over-engineering, over-complicating, yeah. way too much technical wizardry you know, going yeah. on in the background with a really good user panel on the front you're going to get away with it because people are going to go, this just yes. is fantastic. Yeah. I think what With it comes down to is that us AV people tend to, we're, we're geeks. We're yeah. Kind of like, and we, we'll be forgiving. Well, and not so necessarily that, sense, but it's like our, our focus and our priorities are elsewhere. We're not, yeah. we are not our usual end users. Right. We're not the we're audience. from it. You we're know, not so our own audience. Like, you know, the way I say it is like, we're, we're like jazz musicians. You know, we're sitting there it's like, oh, I just played an E flat chord with a sustain, you know, with a sus seven, and and like, why am I? I need to fill up my drink. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> as the solo is going on. Yeah, right. Exactly. Where it's really the end user wants to know is like, can I tap my foot to it? They couldn't care less what key you're in, what chord right. you're in, whatever. So rule but number three. My, yeah, it's like simplicity and easy. Rule number three. Mm-hmm. 
forget what you know. Exactly. Yeah. Learn how to look at it from a disconnected, yeah. disembodied place so that you can go, will this make sense? Yeah. If you see terminology that is familiar to your AV brain, strike it out. Yeah. Stab it in its heart. Sure. Um, and, and, and that's the only way that you're going to get to things that, you know, that make sense. And, and here's the other thing, too. Your customers... Okay, Jerry, you're doing a job. You're doing it for Visa. Okay, and you say, right, we're going to be designing a touch panel interface, but you know what we'd love to do? We'd love to try to get a touch with some of your interface design folks and your usability folks to see if we can work through something that really meets your style and, and makes sense to them. That, that's what integrators can do. They've got right. those resources. Strong partnerships with end users aren't just about selling us lots of crap because it's in our best interest to have it as well. And even if we can't get the full resources of a usability lab, maybe we can borrow one of the HCI folks for a day or two. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if it if it's makes sense within the company, it'll be justified. Hey, we want to get one of the, the lab because it's going to be the user interface. It's going in all the conference rooms. Oh, yeah, good idea. Right. You know? That's those. Those are sort of the three things there. I, we, you know, could talk for days on, on other things, but you know, those are sort of the biggest problems that we've got. Yeah, I love it. Well, I, that's our three takeaways. So, Chris, uh, well, I'm actually there's a fourth takeaway, which was learn our language, figure out what the words mean to us. Uh, well, okay, shop right that? on that. Yeah, give us a sub, like five minute on that. Like, okay, if I say collaboration, name a product. Um, Avacor. Okay. To us, collaboration means Box or Google Suite. Oh, okay. Hmm. Really? Um, does it mean Microsoft Teams? Is that Teams, also Slack? Yep, those Slack. are collaboration. Okay, products. okay, okay. Yeah, those are collaboration. I, I, of course, am thinking of an AV piece of hardware, right? No, like no, but, the, but that's it. And Avacor, y'all are thinking of a platform for which y'all actually learn. Learn to say a lot more. Like you know, give me an example. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you doing? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Right? There was a, a that Gary, was good. I like that. Thank Gary Kay and Dana Corey did a, a webcast a while back just prior to Infocom talking uh -huh. about UCC and, and stuff like that. And Dana made a comment in there. He said that um, uh, applications drive workflow. Uh -huh. Or no, uh, uh, workflow drives experience. Okay. Something like that. Um, but it, no, he said applications drive experience is what he said. Okay. And, I said that's, and, and I was like, that's close, but it's not quite because workflow drives experience. Applications affect workflow. Workflow yeah. drives the experience. Because just because you've got, let's say, like Prism had a box integration in it, the Dropbox. Yeah. It, but the way that Prism was bringing it in and using it doesn't fit with the workflow of how the customer uses it. Spend more time seeing how we use the tools we've got, how we share, how we, we deal with that stuff. And you're going to come up with solutions that are much better. Like, don't come in all bells ringing and, you know, everything else. Figure out what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it, and then you'll be able to figure out what fits. Well, and that's one of the – a lot of the engineers I work with, Jerry included, and he doesn't have that issue so much at his current employer. They get frustrated because their salespeople get excited about a product. 
and they're trying to, de- to determine a use case. And they're like, what about a smart board? And they're like, no, what, what, what? Like, why are you even talking product? You know, what about a smart podium? They're like, stop. <laughs> you know, like, Everybody stop. wants to throw a piece of gear at something. Right. Yes. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, the good engineers, I would say yeah. the top tier engineers, don't ever want to talk product. It, they want to determine what platforms the client is leveraging, what they have that might be able to integrate. Jerry and I had some funny conversations about something he had determined will work together and they were people were slut shaming him um and he was thinking oh my god people were like raining down on him why doesn't this work together it was the telephony provider we're not even going to get into those bitches that's a whole nother podcast and 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 knowing where our pain points are as well because like you know for example you know you were just saying, you know, bringing gear in. Everyone wants to rain gear down on us. And no. I don't want any more gear. I want. Gear. I know. Uh, yeah. You know, you know what, ex- you know what product excites me the most right now looking for sponsors. Um, it's the new Panacast camera and it's not the camera itself that excites me. Oh yeah. It's the data. Ah, I know. Die on the back of that thing that it's feeding out of, it's got a full ML stack inside it, a machine learning stack. And it's giving all sorts of data. They're working towards being able to tell that someone in the room looks confused. Oh, um, automatic what? trigger, you know, uh, calls. It's that Uh-oh. product's value is 10x its cost. I know. Well, wow. that's, oh, I, can you imagine that, Michelle? like, I'm sorry, Michelle. I cannot help you that. It oh, appears no, no. I've been drinking. No, no. I, <laughs> I love that. I need that. Can I put a Panacast camera in my vehicle? I will no, not send that text for sorry, you. Sorry. Well, my vehicle, when I get it back from the body shop, um, which, but I had interviewed the founder of Panacast, uh, or I was part of, I think I was Corey Moss. It was, it was one of his podcasts, but it was just the three of us. And he's awesome. And so I've actually called Panacast software that happens to be a camera because that's the really newest what version's even better. Yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. Yeah. No, but it's no, not no. the camera. That's the amazing it's part to the us. Software. It's the software. It's, API. Yeah. They, because they, Jerry, we were talking about how rooms are used. Yes. It not just tells you how many people are in the room. No, It'll get you a, a moving histogram of when yeah. they came into the room, when they left there. It could tell you that there's a laptop in the room and no people. So I could deploy yeah, yeah. pick up the laptop. Well, there's just you, everything. Well, and you didn't get to go to uh, Infocom this year, so which was a miss, by the way. You I said, know, I know. You said you were going to try and come, and then I got I excited. Then we didn't follow up, and then you didn't show up. But that's okay. But we did have a Jabra a branded Panacast camera in our. Yeah, because they uh, bought them. They bought them yes, a while ago. Yes. Exactly, um, and so they were all excited. We had to give it back because it was only one of twelve, and I was like, "I, I love the Jabra people, but I was I, I wanted to say to the product manager, like, you know, it's just a silk screen, right? Like, calm down." He's like, "It's only one of 12 I'm like, "It's the same camera. It's a silk screen," but I, I didn't want to, yeah, you know, not my place. Stay in your lane, Michelle. Um, and I get it. Like, he just that only twelve in his possession, um, but. It was great because we did have it up. Uh, it was on the, the back wall. We had two displays. And um, if you pulled up one of our interfaces, you could watch the counts on the on the Panacast camera, change the count of the uh, people within our booth within its viewing range, which I was like, oh, that's a demo feed, I never thought about. Like, I love it. Be able to it. feed real-time data to your real no, estate department of how many people no, are in the room. It's no, so- occupancy sensor. Oh, my God. Because 
Look, I, prior to that camera having that ability, we were looking for an occupancy sensor that was POE. And like nobody had one because everybody's a bunch of dicks. And it was like, really? Why could oh, um, enlightened, enlightened has them. Oh, well, we didn't find that part of that. But well, we don't need it now. Sorry, enlightened. But And I'm sorry I didn't call you either to ask uh, because Panacast can do it just with the camera. Right. But that's the type of stuff where when you're leveraging the software platform that happens to be a video conference. And, and that also happens to take us that's back amazing. to exactly where we started because we started with air wall sensors. Yes. The point was sensors that give us data. Yes. Nature yeah. is about sensors and data coming from a variety of sensors. I, I love that. Whether we're talking about the new Windows smart monitors that have uh-huh. a built-in motion sensor, temperature and light sensors, or the yep. Panicast being able to do that stuff. That being able to integrate more sensors that give us more data about how our spaces are being used, you know, consumption, are there too, too big rooms, too small rooms, are they being misused? That's where the future is. Yeah. All that yeah. stuff, learn how to really work those APIs and we're all going to be a lot happier. So there's something that we always ask because Jerry's an audio guy. So I don't know if you've ever had to commission a room audio Lee. Um, that's not even a word. I just made it up. Thank you. It'll go in our lexicon. Um, I'm, I'm submitting it to the urban dictionary right now, but, um, but everybody loves music. And if you don't, you wouldn't be my friend. So if you were to commission a room uh, for audio, what would be your song? Do you know? Your reference song, yeah. Yeah, what's your reference song for Commissioning Room? Because everybody has different things they like. So you could just pick a song you like. We don't care. Well, not an audio expert. but Anything from an album called The Trinity Session by the Cowboy Junkies. Okay. Uh, it's an album that was recorded in the late 1980s with a single CalRec ambisonic mic. Uh-huh. By, by, a, by a friend of mine, Gary Moon. Typically, it would probably be the song Hard Rock Minor because it's just mm-hmm. Marco Timmons' voice. Yeah. Uh-huh. A cathedral that you can practically hear breathing through the sounds. So all you hear is that. So if uh-huh. you're looking for clarity and reverberation and stuff like that, the Trinity Session has always been pretty much my go-to album. Um, and if we want something that uh, is got a little bit more musicality and things like that, and I want to hear the full range nature of a room, Baby I'm Shark. probably a uh, new um as much as i'd love to go to u2 or something like that daniel lenoir always kind of over sounds everything yeah. so it would probably be a song called the healer by john lee hooker and carlos santana oh, album nice. the healer. now I'm, i have to look that up the healer good one good one awesome for that one that whole album is great because it's he's yeah. got songs with all sorts of people in that one tip my hat to the daniel lenoir reference most people don't know who he is, but he's a, it's a freaking Canadian. What, the, what are you going to do? You know? yeah, right, he also did, well, Robbie Robertson, Somewhere Down the Crazy River, could also be a good song to do. Right. That's some incredible. Go, going back on the Daniel Lanois things, like Peter Gabriel's So album. There you go. Yeah. And another Daniel Lanois production. Yep. So, well, yeah, Chris, a lot of good stuff from Daniel. We really appreciate you spending time with us. So if somebody wants to find Chris Gillespie, my good friend, Jerry's new friend, friend (laughs) of uh, Mostly AV podcast, where can we find you, Chris Gillespie? Uh, LinkedIn. All right. (laughs) P-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E. Did I spell it right? All right. Cool. Uh, Where else? That's it. Just LinkedIn. Just LinkedIn. Just LinkedIn or Google. That's it. He's he's one note in it. Screw all you. <laughs> so we should not follow your Pinterest page because that has nothing to do with AV. No, uh, no, no, I avoid AV at all costs uh, when I'm out of the office. 
your I, Instagram I guess, is all about your Doberman pincher. Okay, my, German my Shepherd. German Shepherd. Um, no, I, 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 I try not to talk about this industry when I'm not. <laughs> at work. I try not to talk about it when I'm at work as well. But you can't <laughs> help it. You can't help it, right? <laughs> We're yeah. like the mafia. Well, we really appreciate it, Jerry. Did you like Absolutely. meeting Chris? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's yeah. been a great experience. Good hearing. Good uh, meeting you guys as well. Good meeting you guys. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks everybody for staying with us for another fun-filled episode of Mostly AV. And everybody have a good day, evening, or morning, whichever one happens to catch. Morning, noon, or night. Love y'all. <laughs> All right. Take care. Well, thanks, folks.